Testing. Testing. Hey guys, it's Will and Keith. I'm Keith. And I'm Will. And I'm Will. Oh God. <laughs> oh, you are amazing. <laughs> this podcast is amazing. The, the microphone just just set itself on fire. I love this podcast already. <laughs> Will and Keith embrace the process. <laughs> I hope we're getting that. That's the sweet, sweet sound of coffee being poured. The sweet, sweet sound of Juan Valdez. What? The fictitious <laughs> coffee farmer. Hey, he's one of my heroes, man. Back off off Juan Valdez. He's got a donkey, and he's got a mustache, and I don't know, he probably did something good. If nothing else, having a donkey and a mustache is an achievement in my book. No, two achievements. Um, at one point, I can't remember anything about it, I read... A little online article about the fame of the actor who portrayed that character. Really? And he would, like, tour the countryside and, like, visit people and, like, was, like, a cultural icon even though he was a fake character. That's fascinating. Um, Love to read that article. It was it was entertaining and there were some good photos of, like, him posing with, like, uh, coffee farmers and stuff. <laughs> was, I can't remember much about it. I wasn't... Um, I don't remember how I ended up. I think just one day I was wondering if he was a real person. Mm. And he's not. No. Well, isn't he real to us, though? Like Batman. I mean, he's fake, but he's more real than I am. Exactly. Or will ever be. You know, I actually went on a date with a girl who was close family friends with the actor who played the most interesting man in the world. Oh, uh, and that was that was pretty cool. His name was Jonathan. His name was something very ordinary. <laughs> Jonathan Smith. It was, it was like, it was something Jewish, something like Jonathan Rosenbaum. I don't think that's it. But it was like kind of the opposite of the name that you would imagine <laughs> that guy had. You know, he looks, I don't know what he looks like. He looks uh, maybe Eastern European or maybe South American. You know, he's sort of got this cosmopolitan mm. swag. You know, you'd, I would have thought his name was Sergio, mm. would have been my guess. See. Which is neither Eastern European nor South American. Yeah, I don't really know what you're trying to say to me, but I totally agree. What I'm trying to say is the guy's not as foreign as I thought. Uh, cheers, man. That's nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Apparently he's a very nice guy. Well, it's definitely not interesting. No, it's not. <laughs> nice people are the worst. <laughs> and speaking of the worst... No, we'll get to that later. So, uh, so hey, Will, how are you? It's been a couple of weeks now since we recorded. Yeah, it's it's been, um, did we, uh, I don't remember when we last met. I don't know, I'm going to say like two weeks. It's been a blur, I'm high on candy canes and uh, chocolate oranges. That's what happened, is that Christmas happened, mm. and everything got off. Uh, did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, it was great. Cool. And are you excited about the turn of the new year? Definitely. <laughs> Good answer. Can't wait. No further comment. Happy New Year, everybody. I love New Year's. It's, I'm a big fan. It, it always fills me with uh, anxiety and uh, existential dread, but it also fills me with optimism and, uh, and a desire, a sincere desire to uh, transform myself into the image of the man I've always believed I could be. How uh, much of that is true? I think that's mostly all true. Oh, wow, okay. I wasn't sure if you were being sarcastic. No, no, it's a big holiday for me psychologically. I don't actually ever change anything about my life. But I, I really enjoy the process of figuring out in what way I'm going to disappoint myself this coming year. You, you, uh, you, love, you like holidays. I do. I like holidays. I like, I like the way they... I mean, I like many things about them. I like the festivity, right? The celebration. I like weddings, too, because it's festive. Yeah. Uh, except bad weddings. I like good weddings. Um, but I like holidays also because they are a way to demarcate time. Um, mm. So that you, you know, New Year's especially, but really any holiday, it becomes this signpost in the year and you can sort of orient yourself in, in time and space around that. I find mm. that really helpful and sort of soothing. But yeah, so I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about the new year. I'm going to make resolutions that I won't keep. Uh, it's a time full of optimism for me. Is that it? Did we finish checking in? Well... Yeah, I guess we should. I, though I am really curious about what resolutions you might have. Maybe you could tell me at the end. Yeah, I can tell you now if you want. I want you to. All right, so I've... I'm and I'll still... tell you one. Oh, really? I mean, I'm going to make, gonna it, make it up right yeah. now. Okay, good. But I'll try to, I'll try to make it Is real. it going to be something funny about, like, you resolve not to ask me questions anymore? Or... 
That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I meant funny in quotation marks. Okay, okay. No, uh, I'll try it to better be not ge- be. I'm going to be better genuine. not be something funny, you lousy son be, of a. If this podcast is ever funny, <laughs> <laughs> it's often attempting to be funny, is what I've noticed. Uh, so, so the uh, right. So I'm still working on the list. I'm still paring it down. I have long ridiculous list and I'm going to try to start editing it but there are five major goals that stand out right away okay and some of them are goals that are unique to this year and some of them are goals that uh, would carry over from any other year I'm going to write these down okay write them down for me this is important all right are these in descending or ascending order these are not in any order okay I I can barely remember what they are okay starting with number three starting with number (laughs) three uh would be to would be to write on a regular basis and that's pretty vague but that's my goal every year, and it's it's one of the few things in my life that I feel should be as consistent as possible, even though in practice it's not. So not write every day, but write, you know, most days, right? Yeah. Maybe 300 days. Like a, a consistent year. pace, like a long-distance runner. Right, at a steady pace. And I find that when I do that, if I write two hours a morning most mornings, uh, I can be really, really prolific and productive. Uh, but I have to, you know. I have to commit to it. So right, let's let's one. move back to number one. Okay, sorry, that was number three. Yep. Uh, number one would be to move somewhere else. <laughs> don't know where, don't know when, but at some point in this year, I'm going to move to a different uh, domicile. Wow. It could be in this town, could be in this country. Or just somewhere on this planet. Definitely on this planet. Okay. That much is clear. You're not joining the Mars uh, colony attempt? I, I, according to my resolutions, I'm not. Okay. Although, you know, these things can always change. That's true. You you did say you might not keep to any of these. Yeah, yeah. It's a a template. But these are the big ones. These are the ones I'd really, really like to keep if I can. Okay. So move somewhere. Let's Uh, go to number five. Number five. uh, Number five is to uh, find some kind of source of income. I'd like to have some kind of job or gig, yep. ideally a recurring gig, some kind of source of money, however trivial, uh, in my life. That's something I've rarely, if ever, had. Well, I think it's inevitable that we're going to monetize this podcast. I hope you're wrong, for <laughs> all our sakes. Uh, but and I'm not sure that would count as a source of income if we did, but, uh, but maybe. Okay, number two. Okay, number two. God, can I remember, can I remember all of them? Oh, yeah, I, I can. Uh, number two is to get in shape. And again, that's pretty vague, but I am, uh, I am not at what I would consider a fighting weight, and I haven't been for quite a while. No, if and you fought someone your weight, you would get murdered. Correct. Uh, <laughs> and my goal, my goal would be to, uh, to be in good enough shape, to be lean enough and strong enough that I could thoroughly demolish anyone significantly smaller uh, than I. Uh, that's my goal. No, my goal is just to be lean. I'd like to be lean. Uh, I don't really care about having a lot of muscle. I wouldn't mind having some muscle, but mostly I would just like to be lean. I think I think lean looks good uh, on people. I think it looks good on me. Uh, I think leanness suggests a kind of... Sexual uh, prowess? Maybe. Maybe. That's not what I was going to say at all. Oh, well, that's what I was, <laughs> that's what I was imagining you doing once you... Well, I, I would also I would also like to have some sex, but that's not that's not a resolution. That's that's more of a daydream. At uh, some point before I die, I would I would like to have sex again. I, I think it, I think it will happen. Um, yeah, I like to get lean. Uh, and then number f- number which number have we not done? Yeah, four. You you do it. I was going to say five. Uh, number four. Number f- <laughs> you got it. Number four is uh, is to finally attempt stand up comedy. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. That's that's the one that terrifies me, but I just feel like I've been talking about it for most of my life, and I gotta try it. I that's, gotta try it. That's great. I gotta I gotta just try it. I think stand up is so cool. I think it's maybe the bravest thing that a human being can do, uh, and and I think maybe I could be okay at it if I really uh, put some effort in. Um, but my resolution is not to become a stand up comedian. Uh, or devote my life to it, or make money at it. My resolution is just to try it at least once or twice. Yeah, where where do you think you would go to do that? To New York, probably, or to like a col- like Northampton, lower, uh, lower the bar a little. Probably <laughs> uh, Northampton, the New York of nowhere. <laughs> um, yeah, probably a major city. There's a lot of young, high people there. That's true. Yeah, I th- it's the weed capital of Northampton. If you didn't. 
Northampton is? Yeah. I believe you. Well, as you know, I went to college in that area, and it seems to me there was a there was a Chinese restaurant somewhere in Hadley, maybe, that had a weekly open mic night, and I showed up there once to scope out the scene, thinking maybe I will try stand-up. Yeah, this mm. is in college, right? Uh, I showed up to scope out the scene, and literally no one had shown up except people who wanted to to be stand-up comedians. There was yeah. no audience. It was only prospective comedians. And so the show didn't happen. I think that's, is it, I feel like that's common, isn't it? Probably. Like you do these communal events and you just have to get enough people interested so that at least the people performing are enough crowd to watch the other people perform. Yeah, and arguably maybe the show should have happened. Oh, uh, it didn't? No. No, there was no, there was no performance. Oh. Uh, we just stood around and talked about comedy uh, and then everybody went home. <laughs> uh, so that was my abortive attempt to get into it. I think I probably would try the small club in New York or Los Angeles. Uh, probably would try a major city. Uh, but obviously, it would have to be a rinky-dink club because otherwise, I, they wouldn't let me do it. Yeah. I, I've always wondered about stand-up comedy, about... Um, just curious about the different approaches to it, you know, because it seems like such a uh, a personal experience. Yeah. Each comedian sort of is doing their own thing, um, and just like the build up to that. So, um, I hope you do it. I'd like to. I would and love I, to support you. I <laughs> I don't know that I want to be supported. Um, I'll go, I'll go up. I'll come to the show with a tank of nitrous oxide. They all oh, that's be good. laughing. That's helpful. You know, people supposedly people in cold rooms laugh more. Huh. Um, like I don't know if nightclubs do this, but I guess theaters, uh, theater theaters, when they're playing. A comedy, uh, they will actually lower the temperature to in order to encourage people to laugh. Wow, which is very strange. God, humans were so susceptible. We are, we are, we are influenced by all kinds of things. You know, I don't have any resolutions. Let's just get into the show. Okay, great. So I'm going to give a little outline of the show ahead of us, uh, and it's pretty straightforward. Everybody, I think you can you can handle this. So first, we're going to have a little discussion of the television show You're the Worst which is on FX. We're specifically going to discuss the two episodes in which Ben Folds was a guest star. Uh, and then when we're done with that, we're going to move on into uh, Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing X-Men, which is a title that he originated uh, about a decade ago and one of my favorite comic books. Those were the days. Once we're done with that, I'm going to pitch to Will my suggestion for next episode, which is a little bit of a shake-up for our format. It's a surprise. I have no idea what it is. It's true. And I sound sarcastic, but I just always sound that way because I'm annoying. That's also true. All of that is true. Uh, It's going to be, I think, the least surprising surprise you've ever had in your life, but still a surprise. Because it's Song of Ice and Fire? Oh, shut up. Fine, you ruined it. It was Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> is it really? Yes, it really is. Yes! Damn it. All right, well, now the, now our format has changed. We're going to do You're the Worst, Astonishing X-Men, and then nothing, I guess, because I have nothing more to say. <laughs> we'll drink three pots of coffee and see if we can fly off the roof. Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, the end will, as always, be a little preview of uh, what our topic will be for the next episode, perhaps any closing reflections that I can somehow drag out of this sarcastic bastard to my right. Spoiler alert, it's about Song of Ice and Fire. Damn it! Will... We're going to cut that out. Anyway. Hey, that's my line. <laughs> oh, sorry. I don't have any lines of my own this week. I was, I was lazy. Uh, so you're the worst. So I watched the two episodes with Ben Folds, and I also watched one episode that I didn't mean to. Because I lost the list that you gave me of which episodes to watch. Oh. And then I had to Google it, and then Google betrayed me and gave me the wrong information. Oh. So I ended up watching the episode before Ben Folds' second appearance, as well as his second appearance and his first. Ah, okay. Is what happened. So let's let's start with um, just let's start with Ben Folds. Yes. What did you think what did you think of his appearance? Uh, well, I love Ben Folds, as you know. Yeah. Uh, both as a musician and as a personality. Mm-hmm. I think he's fun and funny and charming. Uh, and, I, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed him in the show. It's, it's this, this trope that's become very common where a celebrity will play himself, but a, a very, very self-deprecating version mm-hmm. of himself. Uh, and that's become the whole, the whole thing 
in the world of, I don't know if Ricky Gervais was the first person to do it in extras, uh, but, uh, but certainly that was a prominent example and a brilliant example. Um, and I, yeah, I liked it. So the, the joke with Foles seems to be that he's, well, the, actually the joke about him is a little different in the two episodes. The first episode in which he appears, the joke is that he's kind of a hayseed from North Carolina. <laughs> he presents himself as a, an aw shucks down home North Carolina boy <laughs> and that like ridiculously wholesome and, and warm and giving and sort of out of place in Los Angeles. And then it turns out that all of that is basically a self-promotional gimmick that he's just as mercenary and careerist as everybody else. And his whole, oh, I'm Ben Folds, I'm from North Carolina thing is, is just basically marketing. Tell me if I've got this right. Well, yeah, but I mean, he is sort of wholesome about the reveal, and which I think is so funny how so he c- compares himself moving to L.A. to when Moby moved to L.A. Right. And I think making any joke that includes a reference to Moby is just hilarious just because I don't know why. <laughs> you just find Moby funny in general. I just love when, when random things... I don't know. Now, is this a real thing that Moby moved to L.A. and there was a big hoopla? About I have it? no idea. It seems like it could be a real thing that happened, or it could be something they made I up. I think just the saying the word Moby makes me laugh, actually. Okay. And the word dick is also funny. So I have a novel that you're going to love. <laughs> yes. But I'll recommend that later. Uh, it's by a guy named Herman. But yeah, he's also so funny. <laughs> he's sort of, da- you know, he's like, oh, well, I moved to town and nobody cared. And it's his his plan to gain rec- recognition by acting like a yokel mm. doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It was just so so dumb. I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there there were the the joke of him being so eager to please that he'll show up at the funeral of someone he's never met and just play piano for a room of eight people. Um, that's kind of funny. Yeah, and I think out of context, just that I had been watching. Well, it's the first one is in season three. Yes. So I had been binging the show, and all of a sudden, two you know three seasons in, Ben Folds appears for no reason. Yeah. It is just play. It's just being <clears throat> such a dope. I I, uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a very good surprise. So I guess because I presented it as <clears throat> uh, watch these episodes with Ben Folds, you didn't get that same. That's true. I didn't sort get of the like surprise. What. But it's not completely out of context, because the show does take place in L.A. and kind of in the world of celebrities. Yeah, so her care, uh, Gretchen's character, is uh, a talent talent rep, so mm-hmm. PR rep, so it does make sense, yeah. To and there's a lot of name dropping in the show. There's a, there, there are other celebrity cameos, but there's also a lot of referencing various celebrities, yeah. especially minor celebrities, which mm-hmm. is... That's very L.A., right? Is there, there's a name that's barely worth dropping, but you're going to drop it anyway because it's what you have. <laughs> um, and then in the in the season four episode where Folds... Appears. Yeah, which, which, which really was like... You know, the joke in season three was funny, but it wasn't hilarious. It was just sort of silly. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. That, that it kind of was pointless and then he was there. But then I felt like when he, when he came back in season four, it took that joke to, to another level. So in season four, he's supposed to collaborate with a couple of rappers. Yes. And they make very filthy rap songs. And so it seems like a sort of unlikely collaboration. But he's excited, and they seem excited. And he shows up at the restaurant where he's supposed to meet these guys for the first time. And all he can talk about is, do they serve alcohol here? And he explains, oh, in North Carolina, you know, we can't, there's all these rules about when you can drink and when you can't drink. And like, here, it's, you drink in the middle of the day. And so he's very excited to order. He says to the waiter, could I have an alcohol, please? Or something, something to that effect. And then he drinks a lot. And then when he shows up to the recording session, uh, it turns out that he has never stopped <laughs> drinking. <laughs> um, so he's in a very, he seems to have a concussion. He's, he's bleeding, got a head injury. He's, he's that, that, yeah. That really this is much funnier as I'm describing it than it was in the, yeah. He's bleeding from the head. He stumbles in and starts slamming his fingers on the card table. Right. Asking, he very clearly has some kind of brain damage. <laughs> asking the, the, the engineer to turn turn his levels up. Right. Uh, yeah, and that... that I mean, the, the show in general traffics in a very uncomfortable style of humor. Sorry, that's the dishwasher that's beeping out. Okay. I probably should have turned it off before 
We started. That's more annoying than the Auntie Donna's dishwasher. Oh! It's more annoying than my good friend Kristen Shaw. Name dropping! I don't actually know her. Uh, but, but, oh, shut up, dishwasher! We're gonna put you out on the street! <laughs> it's a good Auntie Donna's reference, thank you. Uh, that should, that should help. Alright, good. So what did, what did you, what did you think of, uh, so like I just said, I had been, um, um, watching the show, binging it basically, we, um, we had just stumbled upon it randomly, no preconception, no idea what it was, and just, uh, started watching it and just, um, just, uh, kept watching it. Yeah. Through all five seasons, basically. So this is where we get into a slightly awkward territory. And I don't know whether I should try and be as polite as possible or whether I should try and be as truthful as possible. No, I don't think you should but be polite. Obviously, by framing it that way, I've already prejudiced. Is that the, you hated it? The, I hated it. Okay. I, I hated the show. I don't mean <laughs> that as a criticism of you or your taste or your recommendation. Oh, I wouldn't think, you know... It, that can be an awkward thing to discuss between friends because when you recommend anything, you're sort of putting yourself out there, uh, and it is in a, you feel like in a way you are submitting some part of yourself for judgment or for review, right? I don't feel that way. Well, good, especially uh, not with this. Yeah, I mean, it might depend on what it is, right? Like if if I recommended to you an album, a musical album, why did I say musical album? An album. <laughs> A photo album. No, if I recommended to you an album... <laughs> Here's me in the tub, <laughs> age three. Yeah, exactly. You should check that I out. i tell you it's what, great. Keith, I don't like <laughs> That would hurt my feelings, because I was great in that tub at age three. I was great. No, and I think um, just my knowledge of, of, of who you are and, and what you like, I would not expect you to like the things that I like. Which is good. We, we yeah. shouldn't like the same things. Well, I will like a lot of the same things, because I like... A very wide spectrum of things. If you will forgive my use of this term, you are more Catholic in your tastes. <laughs> that's Catholic with a small c, meaning all-embracing or all-encompassing. Wow, that's... It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an odd definition. That, that is, in fact, um, the original definition mm. of the word Catholic. Universal is probably the closest synonym. So Catholic Church originally meant... Universal Church. So tell me, what did you hate about the show most? Every, uh, no. <laughs> well, no, I think what it came down to for me was, and I'm, I'm having some trouble pinning this down in my own mind, uh, because there are shows that I like where the characters are objectively uh, very bad people. Um, what it came down for me in this show is that I didn't like the characters at all. I didn't like any of them, even slightly, except Ben Folds. I did genuinely like... Oh, good. The character of Ben Folds, as played by Ben Folds. And I don't think it's only because I have a prejudice in his favor, although that could be part of it. Um, I think he's charming as much of, a, of an idiot as he is in that show, <laughs> and a kind of self-interested, self-serving idiot. I think he's, he genuinely has some warmth and charm. And in general, I felt like the, the cast of characters was some of the most charmless human beings I've ever seen <laughs> on television or otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think that is... Um, I think that is what the show is. It's it's that sort of... Um, um, it kind of reminds me bits and pieces of, like, It's Always Sunny. I'm so glad you brought that up because I had this reaction to the show and then I wanted to compare it to something where the characters are despicable and I still like it. So I watched a couple episodes of It's Always Sunny. Yeah. Um, and it's a good comparison. Yeah. Right? Uh, I think you know, the, the tradition can be traced back, well, much farther, obviously, but certainly back to Seinfeld, um, where we have a cast of characters who yeah. are objectively very bad people, um, but we still enjoy their hijinks. Um, and Always Sunny is, is a good, more recent example. By do the way, you, do you like that show? still running. That show started in 2005. It's, it just got renewed for another three seasons, so it'll have at wow. least 18 seasons. That's incredible. It's now the, it's the longest-running live-action sitcom of all time. I think I have that right. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, that show's... It's phenomenal. And it really did start out... You know, Danny DeVito wasn't in the first season. Mm. So it right, really did yeah. start out as four completely unknown actors, three of whom, whom were also the creators of the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, with virtually no budget and a mini-DV camera. I did a little bit of research on it. Mm -hmm. 
in preparation for this episode. Yeah, I heard they brought in Danny DeVito just to give it a little bit of star power. For season two. Yeah. yeah. And it was the network who kind of shoved that decision down their throats. Um, the the creator, I forget which, which guy it was actually, but it might have been Rob McElhenney uh, or Glenn Howerton was talking about how FX said to them, we love the show, we, we can't really keep justify keeping it on the air with the ratings that you're getting. Hmm. We'd like to cast someone famous like Danny DeVito and initially, apparently, they said no. They, they were like, no, no, we, we love being just, just sort of anonymous, run and gone, doing our own thing. Yeah. We don't want to bring a star into the mix. And FX basically said, well, then you're canceled. <laughs> and they changed their minds. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Did I say no? Because what I meant was... Um, but yeah, so I like always setting as a... I, I don't know the show well. I've seen a handful of episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh it's not my favorite thing in the world, but I enjoy it and I respect it. Yeah. Uh, so for me, that was a counterexample where, and I and I guess the weird thing about a show like that or Seinfeld is, you do like these people. There's nothing objectively likable about them. You know, they're venal and they're selfish and they're repulsive in various ways, uh, but you you like them, and it's partly just casting, right? It's partly just. Mm. How could you not like Charlie Day? It doesn't matter. He could be a serial killer. <laughs> he's just... I think he is, actually. He might be, yeah. He's hes so off the wall and ridiculous, but he's also so kind of cuddly and yeah. engaging. Um, so I, I think that's a big, big piece of it. The other show that I think of... Um, I th- that you're the, you're the Worst sort of reminds me of is if you, if you took... Um, it's Always Sunny on one end of the spectrum, and then something like Arrested Development on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And you have a sort of... I got the feeling that they it's really dumbed down. Like, the humor is is so low bar. Um, I get the feeling like they're going for smart humor, but they're not smart enough to get there. I don't think... Maybe Jimmy's character is going for smart humor, but I think all the other characters are, like... All very stupid. Mm. Like, they're incredibly stupid. I thought it was more that they were shallow. No, they're also very stupid. Oh, okay. They don't know, like, anything. Um, right, whereas he's kind of a pseudo-intellectual. But he's also, but also not at all. Yeah. But it's not, in the comparison, he gets to feel superior. Right. Um um, well, and he's the Brit, and of course, we Americans always think Brits are smart, even when they're not. Yeah, and I, I think th- I think there's sort of a joke in that, is that he he gets to be the sort feel like intellectual superiority, but really he's um, very base and childish. And, yeah, uh, um, it's a very dumb show. Yeah, but I I couldn't help but feeling like... Well, I mean, Arrested Development is, in my mind, is basically highbrow comedy. I mean, they're not afraid to do stupid jokes. They do a lot of stupid jokes. They do every kind of joke. But for me, the brand of Arrested Development is, if it's dumb comedy, it's dumb comedy written by really smart people. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a reason that show never had a huge following, but that it did have a really devoted following. It's for... Smart people, or at least people who want to feel like they're smart. Hmm. Um, you know, like uh, like Thirty Rock. Thirty Rock never had a huge following either. I mean, enough to last seven seasons, probably more than Arrested Development. <laughs> um, but Thirty Rock is very much a comedy for well-educated people, maybe kind of young, who either are intelligent or would like to believe that hmm. they are. Um, so, so I never would have thought that of Thirty Rock as that. No. It seems like a very stupid show to me, and that's I love. It's a lot of bad jokes. Oh, to which me, I really enjoy. Yeah, to me, it seems like an extremely smart show, where mm. the the comedy is uh, the comedy is highly self aware. It's highly aware of. I mean, this is going to sound unbelievably pretentious, but the writing in that's, Thirty Rock. That's what you're here for. That's yes, I provide that service. Uh, I guess I'm the Jimmy of this podcast, <laughs> the pseudo intellectual. I'm the other idiots all all bowled into, into one. one. Yes. I wish you had. Uh, I wish you had the the sex appeal of that one, who's uh, who's pretty cute. Uh, Aya Cash is pretty cute. I'll just say that. She's she plays like a, a Nazi in The Boys on Amazon. Is that right? I've been meaning to check out The Boys. I don't know whether I would hate it or love it. I, you don't like gore, right? Not generally. There's quite a bit. Yeah. 
It's very yeah. like anti. Well, I know the the writer of the original comic. When I say know him, I don't mean I know him personally, but I, I know Garth Ennis by reputation as a comic book writer, and uh, generally speaking, his stuff is not my kind of thing. Sorry, tell me about the writing of of You're the Worst. I totally derailed you. Oh, I was actually talking about the writing of Thirty Rock. Oh, okay, yeah, right. So the, the... I'm paying attention. <laughs> you you don't need to. I'll listen to this later. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I won't. I'll nip out. Nip out for a spot of toast on beans. Wow, that was that was very bad. But I, <laughs> I respect your effort. Uh, uh, yeah, so I almost feel like Thirty Rock is written for comedy writers. Uh, like it, it's it's extremely self aware about comic tropes and comic structures and how they play out. And the the sort of trademark of Thirty Rock is to do a joke on top of a joke on top of a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of going for one joke, it's it's three jokes in rapids. It's like the my favorite one of my favorite examples is uh, with early season one episode where Tracy Jordan's having some kind of seizure, and uh, Liz Lemon is looking for his his medicine, trying to call his doctor. What's the name of your doctor? What's the name of your doctor? And, and Tracy keeps going, Doctor Spaceman! It's Doctor Spaceman! <laughs> I forgot about that. Right? So that's arguably that's joke one, right? That's just a completely ridiculous name for his doctor to have, and it's the kind of thing Tracy Jordan would say. He's sort of off the wall, uh, and obviously having having medical issues right now, so maybe not in a clear state of mind, so Dr. Spaceman, that's joke one. And then she finds the bottle of medication to discern what the name of the doctor really is, and, and sure enough, it's, it's Dr. Spaceman. And she goes, I owe you an apology, Trey. So that's joke two, right, is that that actually is the name of his doctor. Then they cut to the doctor answering the phone, and it's Chris Parnell in his first appearance on that show. And he goes, this is Dr. Leo Spachemini, <laughs> which is joke three. It's, it, that sounds like a real name. Uh, and then, of course, the name of that joke four is that that character is in every season. Uh, he makes many, many appearances on that show. And that is his name, Dr. Leo Spachemin. So it, it was this one-off joke that became maybe one of the best characters on the entire show. So for me, all of that is next-level comedy writing. You mean, yes, it's absurd, it's broad, it's ridiculous, but it's so smart, it's so self-aware, it's so self-referential, and it's, although it could be rewarding for anyone, it's more rewarding if you're someone who's kind of tracking the logic of the jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like, I, I try to resist the idea that uh, you know, people with different levels of sophistication are, are appreciating art on different levels because I think that idea is... Uh, elitist and somewhat self-defeating. Like, ultimately, if art isn't able to resonate uh, across divides, then what is it? Um, but at the same time, there are there are extra little rewards for people who uh, either have been trained to think about things like joke structure or just who like to think about that. So the Simpsons does this too, right? They're masters of the super joke, the meta joke, undermining their own humor, undercutting their own premises. There's a classic moment when... Uh, Homer's been kicked out of Moe's bar and he's not allowed to go in Moe's bar anymore. And then he walks through the door wearing a monocle saying, Hello, my name is Guy Incognito and I would like some of your (laughs) fine beverages, please. And he's, of course, immediately thrown out on his ass because this is a completely transparent disguise. And then the real Homer walks by and, uh, and goes, Oh, look, my perfect double. And then he's distracted by something else and walks away. So... So, like, that's, you know, that's, again, the, the, a, a joke that builds on itself. And, I mean, in that case, even um, even sort of betrays itself. Like, the premise of the joke is so obvious, and it turns out the premise is yeah. something completely different. I guess, I guess I'm just thinking of the, the, those are two examples of shows, for me, that are, that's the whole point of the show. Mm. So I don't find it that important. Impressive, given that that's what the context is in the first place. Yeah, I mean, just the like. The, I definitely find it funny. Yeah, but if if you know comedy writers weren't funny, they wouldn't be you know writing shows for so many seasons. Well, I would posit that most comedy writing, however talented the writers, is not funny or clever or particularly worthwhile. I mean, comedy is really hard. Um, most comedy is trash now. Theodore Sturgeon would point out that 90% of everything is crap. I think that's a conservative <laughs> estimate. But, uh, um, but I think com- I think it's especially true of comedy because I think comedy's uh, 
just more difficult than other uh, pursuits, which is mm. part of why I feel like I have to try stand-up to kind of put my money where my mouth is. You should do it. I should do it. I'm not a huge comedy fan, as I've told you. Yeah. So I don't... Um, I don't really watch it or look into it or analyze it. I sort of... Um, Enjoy a premise, and if it's funny, that's okay, but, um, um, so, like, for instance, with You're the Worst, I didn't seek it out to watch it, we yeah. just, I just was watching it. Yeah, well, I'm certainly not trying to say you shouldn't have watched it, or you're wrong oh, to no, enjoy no. it. <laughs> no, I, I guess I just don't glorify the comedic pursuit as much as you do, which is just, you know, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Well, it's something I guess it's something that I that I geek out about. Something yeah. that I'm passionate about. And and it's for me it's not so much that I'm a huge fan of comedy as it actually exists. I'm not someone who's watching every new Netflix stand-up special or even every new special from comedians I like. Uh, it's not about consuming an enormous amount of content or endorsing most of what's out there under the yeah. rubric of comedy. For me it's more about like the spirit of comedy, what it represents. Mm. In the abstract. So 90% of it could be crap. 99% of it could be crap. And even good comedy might not be something that I'm going to turn on on a regular basis or want to indulge in on a regular basis. But I have enormous respect and love for humor as a human trait, um, for jokes of all kinds, and, and, and yeah, for those rare individuals who are actually able to do something humorous and an artistic context which is much much harder than being funny in real life you know it's actually fairly easy to get in a pretty good joke in a conversation that's much 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 easier um than crafting an artistic situation that also allows you to tell good jokes i don't so th- it's just 30 rock for me always kind of represented like yeah it's like it's an nbc show it's funny it's like it's got these stars and it. it sort of like has everything going for it huh so for me, it was like, it was not, um, I enjoy it, but I don't, it's, um, it seemed like a powerhouse project to me. Yeah. So not that that lessens it, but it's sort of just like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's I mean, surprising I guess I... that you were so intense about the Dr. Spaceman joke. Um, I mean, I think that's a brilliant joke. <laughs> I think it's funny. Yeah, I just I I I um I guess I just don't uh I don't appreciate comedy as much as you. Just it's just a difference between us. Should we move on to the extremely sophisticated thing? Uh, yes. Uh, so Keith had recommended, uh, based on our uh, conversation about Firefly and Joss Whedon, Joss, it sounded like I said Josh. A lot of people do say Josh. I don't, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> um, the Astonishing X-Men, and so I bought the digital copy of the first volume which was the first 12 issues, I think, and I read seven, and I'm halfway through the eighth. Excellent. Um, are we talking about storyline? I think we should. Okay, so I am maybe halfway through the issue where uh, they're battling with the uh, personified uh, danger room oh, yeah. hardware. Okay. All right, so so which is it started with a Fantastic Four team up, or maybe that was the previous issue, but that story arc started with the Fantastic Four showing up. Okay, which was very surprising. Yeah, I had totally forgot that they were. I I, I sometimes forget which I'm not like a big Fantastic Four or Spider Man fan, so in my mind I kind of looped them off in sort of DC world for some reason hmm. because I think of Spider Man. Batman, Superman, they're sort of, even though it's Marvel, I think of it as uh, some some dumb thing that I don't read. 
well, it is true that to a large extent, the X-Men have historically been siloed off from the rest of the Marvel yeah. Universe. Uh, they, Except the, yeah, the X-Universe. Right, I mean, strictly speaking, the X-Men adventures take place in the mainstream Marvel Universe, in the comic books, mm-hmm. uh, although not in the movies. But uh, but they, they've often been treated like they were, even though they live in Westchester, which is not that far from New York City, <laughs> where every other superhero lives, they've often been treated like they reside in their own separate world. Uh, they've had crossovers with the Avengers and other teams, but... Um, but they've also had a lot of crossovers just among themselves, and there are multiple X teams, and they're yeah. all sort of affiliated. Um, and 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 in the movies, the that division has been maintained by the fact that Fox has the rights to the X Men, uh, and Disney, until they bought Fox, didn't. They had every other oh, Marvel right, property. Right. Sorry, it's more complicated than that. Sony had Spider Man. Fox had the X Men. Marvel Studios had everything else until they were bought by Disney. Now Disney owns Fox, and so now... And all of you. That's correct. Disney owns <laughs> everything in the universe. Um, the but, Marvel Universe has expanded to the real universe. Whoa, now that's cool. Oh, we could get into a whole thing about Superboy Prime, but we're not going to. Uh, so uh, maybe you should go on with your response to this. So, so the Fantastic Four showed up. Um... And there was a, they showed up and there was a showdown. Um, it was interesting because it's something I, I wouldn't have thought of when the Fantastic Four, uh, after they go through their battle, they're talking about how um, how this is going to look for their PR. Mm. And um, I had never thought about it in that context. How the whole the whole X Men sort of um, you know the 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 mutant. You know, they're looked down upon as being mutants. Right. And then, you know, but in these other hero worlds, the Fantastic Four are, are you know, like heroes. And yeah. And just that simple difference that the, the X-Men, that mutants are born with this mutation and characters like the Fantastic Four were transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a really interesting point to bring up. Yeah. They're like, they're not, you know, they had something happen to them, but these mutants are freaks. Right. So one of the core premises of the X-Men has always been that they face a huge amount of prejudice just for being born different. I think that's one of the things that that makes the X-Men so interesting and mm-hmm. different than other superheroes and probably why I always gravitated to them. There was this sort of, th- that struggle. You know, there were other, like... Say, like, Spider-Man, for example. There, yeah. There was, like, oh, like, the menace, you know, the, uh, what's, what's his name, Jimmy James. <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy, James Daniel, um, was, you know, campaigning against, so there's always that sort of pushback. Yeah. But in the X-Men storyline, the fact that it's this genetic mutation, it's there, it's the way that they're born and being hated for that, I find really interesting. And to put it next to the Fantastic Four was really interesting. Right. And a cool, a surprise, it was a surprise and a cool idea. So the the context for uh, Joss Whedon starting his run on X-Men is that there had just been a long, long run by Grant Morrison, which was called New X-Men, which was uh, very divisive. Uh, Some people loved it, some people didn't like it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what he was trying to do in his run was to... Uh, take the X-Men away from being a superhero book and make it more of a sci-fi book. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he, for example, he took the X-Men out of their spandex superhero costumes and put them in leather, which in turn influenced the X-Men. Oh, you're talking about the new... This is right before... So you're talking about what Grant... Yes. ...was doing. Right. He was trying to make it a sci-fi. Right. Okay, so he put him in leather, which they referenced in the... I didn't understand what that reference was. Yeah. They're like, oh, all that leather was unappealing. Okay. Right. So there's a there's a metatextual thing going on, if you'll forgive the expression. There's a, there's a story behind the story, mm. which is that Grant Morrison took the X-Men in a very specific direction. Uh, he wanted to make it more grounded, wanted to make it more sci-fi, you know, less spandex and superheroics. And uh, when Joss Whedon came in to take over the book, he was intent on uh, making them superheroes again. Yeah, um, it, and I think the the reason why like classic superheroes like the Fantastic Four show up is to provide that that layer of commentary, mm-hmm. um, and the reason why they change costumes and all that. It did feel very familiar. I mean, I haven't read X Men comics in decades mm-hmm. or any comics really, um, but picking it up, it it 
it started, you know, at at uh, the school uh, for gifted youngsters. Yeah. And um, it felt very familiar, and the costumes were familiar. They were like uh, re mock ups of some of the original costumes. Like Cyclops has the hooded, uh, oh yeah, the hooded uh, visor get up, which was uh, the original, I think, maybe from Uncanny, maybe. I'm trying to picture what his. Well, well, we could debate what's what yeah. counts as the original, but <laughs> so it felt very classic. It felt very familiar to what I was used to uh, from the '90s run of comics, which which I was obsessed with. Um, I liked it. It it was very funny getting mm. into it. Um, I thought maybe I was sort of like, man, I hope it isn't this funny the whole time. Um, but once it gets going, it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the artwork was great. Um, I liked it. I'm going to keep reading it. Nice. Yeah, John Cassidy is an amazing uh, artist. And he's the artist the whole time through. Which is yeah, I, I couldn't... I, I just, it, it's been so long since, since I had looked through any real graphic work. and um, uh, Just so impressive to imagine just pumping out issue after issue of just masterpieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the artists in some ways are are carrying the biggest burden. I mean, I think comic writing is phenomenally important and of course it can be done well or poorly. And I talk about this as Joss Whedon's run. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, you know, uh, an artist could write four different comic book titles every month. And, I'm sorry, a writer could write four different titles every month and uh, an artist can't possibly do. An artist could barely keep up with one issue. Yeah. It's just an enormous amount of labor for them. And the, the expectations for how detailed comic art will be and how sophisticated it will be have only increased. Mm-hmm. So even when you and I were reading comics in the early 90s, you know, the art could be a little primitive uh, and, and it was fine. It, it had to be, you know, splashy and fun and cool, uh, but it didn't, it didn't have to be sort but, of like beautifully rendered. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was very flat. Yeah. There wasn't much shading back then and now in this, this issue... Uh, that I was reading, you know, there's a lot of sort of sheen and shading and value given to things where where um, older comics are often more obviously two-dimensional. Yeah, and some of that is the coloring, because now you have the digital coloring, mm-hmm. um, and it does give things a much more rounded look, yeah. um, which I you have mixed feelings about. But uh, but it's also the, it's also the pen and ink work mm-hmm. itself. Um, it, there's just a lot more texture. Yeah, initially I wasn't sure, you know, I, I wasn't, it's not my favorite type of illustration. You know, I really like the grainy sort of rough, rough stuff. You know, some of the frames where it's just, um, and this is talking about any, any comics frames where like you just get the sort of silhouette Mm. and like the motion lines. I love stuff like that. That looks very like kind of Frank Miller type stuff. Ink on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, the artwork in this was great and, uh, I warmed up to it. Nice. Once, yeah, you, once a, you immerse yourself in it, you sort of, that's just what it looks like. And then yes. you're into it. Yeah, and I think when, when I read that comic book, that John Cassidy was new to me. And I wasn't sure if it was a little too realistic for my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of, part of what you contend with is the match of the writing and art. You want them to feel like they belong together. And ultimately I decided that it was a really good match. Mm-hmm. Not only that I, that I get used to the style and decide that I in fact liked it, uh, but also that it, that it fit really well with what Joss Whedon was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt like it felt very natural. Uh, actually there's another, there's another comic book also drawn by John Cassidy all the way through that is more, uh, well, less conventional superheroics and, and more kind of, uh, I don't know, experimental sci-fi. It's called Planetary, written by Warren Ellis. And that's a phenomenal book. And I will probably force you to read that at some cool. point. Do you have a copy of it? I think I do. Okay. I think I do. I'm going to go digging upstairs and see what I have. But Planetary, this is actually, this is a great recommendation for anyone because it's completely self-contained. So obviously X-Men, mm-hmm. you are contending with 50 or 60 years of history and, and picking one storyline out of hundreds. Yeah. Uh, but Planetary is completely... I think it... Sorry, it does take place in a larger universe, but it's effectively pretty self-contained. Mm. Uh, you don't need to know anything about Wildstorm in general to appreciate Planetary. Uh, and it does a lot of cool stuff commenting on genre fiction and different eras of genre fiction and, and different genres within 
that category, um, there, again, there's this sort of metatextual element to it, although it's fundamentally an adventure story. Uh, and in that book, the Fantastic Four analogs are the villains, and they are some of the most deeply twisted villains that you've ever uh, run into. And that in itself is sort of an interesting twist. So is it, it's not the Fantastic Four, just, but it's, it is them? Right, it's, it's uh, distorted it's, versions of okay. Is this that. a Marvel? You it's not. No. Okay. Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a Wildstorm comic, which is now part of the DC universe. Mm. Uh, but no, short, short answer, no, it's not Marvel. Um, so yeah, so m- most of the characters depicted in this book actually are distorted versions of some famous character, like uh, like Tarzan or uh, the Spirit or the Phantom or all these all these sort of classic pulp. What was, what was the series you recommended to me uh, last year? The Seven to Eternity. Oh yeah. Um, I re- did they finish that yet? I don't think so. <laughs> I think the fourth volume has been long delayed, and I I hope it will come out. I think yeah. I have it pre-ordered on Amazon. I thought um, about doing that, but then I figured uh, I really enjoyed that, and that that's an example of some gritty artwork that I really that uh, I really gravitate to. Yeah, dark like a lot of blacks, flat blacks, and Jerome Opeña is the artist there, and uh, he's he's absolutely one of the best ever, uh, certainly one of the best today. Very and, detailed, uh, but sort of like a lot of kind of abstraction mixed in, which I like. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like that look where stuff in the background isn't necessarily rendered. Mm. You just get the idea of what what things are like. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of variety. There's nobody better than Opeña, and uh, he and Rick Remender, who wrote Seven to Eternity, first collaborated. Sorry, I shouldn't say first. Also collaborated on Uncanny X Force, which is maybe my favorite superhero comic ever. Uh, so that's another thing that at some point. I will force you to read. It's, uh, it's great. Wolverine reforms X-Force mm. as a kind of assassination squad operating without oversight and without the X-Men's knowledge, taking down those villains that need to be taken down. Wow. And it's very dark. That sounds like my kind of thing. It's amazing. Um, and it's not, uh, it sort of sounds like, you know, violent exploitation. It's very violent and it's very dark, mm. but ultimately it has a, deeply moral worldview and it, it comes out almost as a kind of anti-violence tract maybe i won't like it maybe not <laughs> maybe it's a little too thoughtful for you uh no it's a great great comic so wolverine deadpool uh phantom x psylocke and archangel are the original lineup and they go out and they try to kill the people who need killing and things go very very wrong <laughs> it's a great book that always happens to me when I go out killing whenever you try to kill the people that need killing I end up creating a life it's, <laughs> it's just not at all what I intended um, it's great timing too because I've been thinking um, my son is five now and um, you know we're sort of bolstering his reading material yeah and I'm and I'm I like to sort of predict what what will sort of be next in line so that he'll always have something to read. Um, and uh, so comics are coming up quick. Yeah. But also the fact that, you know, the comics I love most are pretty brutal. Right. So I can't have, like, you know, Wolverine getting the adamantium ripped out of his body <laughs> to my five-year-old. Maybe sure. I could. I don't know. But, well, email me your thoughts, listeners. Yeah. Um, can but, I handle it? <laughs> Fatal attractions. But uh, I have a big chest in my parents' attic where all my childhood comics have lived for the past twenty years or something. So I'm going to bring that over eventually. But I'm I'm very excited to keep reading the Astonishing X Men. Nice. And any other titles you would like to recommend? Well, I don't want to overburden you, but uh, definitely I have so much. The... <laughs> I I'm. I want to get back to normal life, Meh. but I'm while I'm sort of social distance, I'm just going all in. Perfect. I'm not. I don't want to go out with my mask on and pretend that this is normal. So I want to be at home. I bought a Nintendo. <laughs> I'm gonna play Zelda and read comic books and pretend that I'm 13 years old. Will and Keith embrace the isolation. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's maybe good. I mean, look, it's winter and I think to some degree we're all hibernating and to some degree, maybe we've all been hibernating for the whole year. Uh, it's nice to think that 2020 maybe doesn't count. Uh, 
and that we get a do-over <laughs> uh, whenever. And I, I don't know. I like I like the... Um, say what you will about sort of sitting around reading comic books or playing uh, uh, video games. I like the... Um, the the innocence of that and the the genuine you know it, it's 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 a guilty pleasure in that sense that I'm sort of you know I should be maybe doing more pro- productive things but um, it feels good to sort of that nostalgia I haven't really uh, dipped into that in a long time and I'm I'm happy to so thank you. I was really enjoying reading the book. Oh, I'm glad. And I'm going to keep going. Let me ask you one question, because I am genuinely curious. We talked about the art a lot. Did, did you feel like, in terms of the writing, it was uh, different from the kind of stuff that uh, that we read when we were kids, the early 90s? I, I felt like I could hear uh, the writer's voice. Hmm. Um, and that's something you're not used to. No, I mean it did remind me like I you know, it, it was it was um there in the X-Men comics there's all there's always a lot of jokes sort of set in. Mm-hmm. You know, little little sort of snide remarks between two or um this this book I felt was maybe pushing that a little farther. Yeah. Um and and um it like we were talking about um Firefly, and um, I could see that being um, that playful writing being something that that he is probably into and really likes. But you mean that's what he's known for? Yeah, yeah, quips like, and banter. He created the Buffy fun. the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Wait, did so? Does he also do Agents of Shield? Uh. I feel like he was involved with that, but maybe as a producer. I'm a little vague on it. I have not seen Agents of Shield. Okay, um, but I liked I liked it. Like I said, I fr- I was reading it and um, I like it. I like the playfulness, but I don't. I'm not interested in it going too far. Yeah, you know, I want to keep I want to keep the trainer rolling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if, I think you'll find. I'm sorry, I shouldn't interrupt you. I want to keep the trainer rolling. Chug a chug a choo choo <laughs> was what I was going to say. I'm so glad that I uninterrupted you because that was worth. Uh, yeah, I think you'll find as you go on that the the story does not take a backseat. I mean, obviously there will be witty dialogue throughout because that is what Joss Whedon does. But he also is a storyteller, and he is committed to moving the story forward. And he does manage to tell a, a large overarching story in the course of his 25 mm-hmm. issues. That then breaks down into smaller stories. Oh, so that's the whole run. So there's just two volumes. Yeah, if, if your first, first volume is 12. twelve issues, then it should be just two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's about well, it's about two years of, uh, of worth of comic books. So yeah, Joss and Jed are credited on the directors list for Agents of Shield. Oh, okay. Who's Jed? His brother. Oh, didn't know that. His son. <laughs> Jed Whedon. I didn't. I didn't know that was a person. Uh. Yeah, he's he's his brother. Yep. Oh, okay. This is what he looks like. He looks. Oh, he's like. Uh, would you? Which way would you swipe on that? On that boy? I, I mean, I I'd say that's a pretty good looking guy. Yeah. Certainly better looking than Joss Whedon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I re- do you watch Agents of Shield? Have you watched? I've it? never seen it. No. I don't know if it's still running, but for a long time, it must have been five seasons. I was watching it pretty regularly. Nice. And enjoying it. I should watch that show. I've heard yeah. good things about it. Yeah, I think it 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 has that sort of playful kind of campiness, I guess, which which like it's you know, there's a lot of sort of cheesy one-liners thrown around, but that made it feel very comic booky. Mm. But like so then Allie would sit down and I'd be watching it and she would just like the things that they would say are very, you know, she would make fun of me for watching it, but um well, I think that's cruel. It, um, I think it's definitely worth watching. Nice. Um, yeah, should, I don't know why I never did. I mean, I, I love Joss Whedon. I think he's great. Yeah. Uh, it sort of skirts around and, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a TV show. Yeah. Um, but maybe you don't mind. I, I guess it was surprising to me because I had stopped watching TV mm. because in my sort of existential spiraling, I just 
couldn't handle watching TV shows anymore. Um, so this show I was watching, um, I would watch two things. Cooking shows, basically, and animation. Mm. And the third thing <laughs> was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, give it a try. Yeah, I will. But I really like the book so far. I, I'm going to keep reading it. And um, I, I definitely uh, am looking forward to digging out my comics and getting some more recommendations from you. Nice. Well, we will keep that conversation going. Anyway, uh, should we wrap up? Oh, so so my proposal for next week is that we try something different. And instead of each recommending a topic, we cover one topic for the entire show. And my proposal is that we do start out with A Song of Ice and Fire because it's something we've already introduced a little bit. Uh, it's something we both have some familiarity with because you've seen the Game of Thrones show. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, certainly a large topic and a, and a popular topic and something that it easily warrants an hour of discussion. Yeah. So I also have, as a surprise for you, Keith is walking away. He's coming back. I'm coming back. I have my copy of the first Song of Ice and Fire novel, which is entitled A Game of Thrones. Wow. And you may borrow this copy and you may read it to your heart's content. My heart is content. <laughs> really? No. Is I... that all it took? Uh, great. Thank read, you. Read us the first sentence or two. Go ahead. <clears throat> Such a splendid tale and such a fantastical... Wait, Not the blurb. <laughs> you blurb. The prologue? Yeah. <clears throat> we should start back, Garrett. Urged as the woods began to grow dark around them, the wildlings are dead. Do the dead frighten you? Sir Waymar Royce asked with just a hint of a smile. Garrett did not rise to the bait. He was an old man, past fifty, and he had seen the lordlings come and go. Dead is dead, he said. We have no business with the dead. Are they dead? Royce asked softly. What proof have we? Wow, it's pretty good so far. One of my least favorite things about reading stories is trying to figure out what the hell people's names are <laughs> and doing it. While being mic'd was... Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's also, fun. you're going to hate that about these books because there are hundreds of named characters. No, well, I just don't. I don't try. I just... I recognize the pattern of letters. Oh, I see. And I don't try to pronounce the name. Oh, okay. So it's the pronunciation that you get hung up on. Yes. Got it. And it's like... It's like... What... You know, where can you... You could look it up, but or is the writer just making it up? Well, and sometimes the the writer and the TV show are at odds. Like mm -hmm. I, I think it's true that George R. R. Martin says Baratheon, mm -hmm. whereas everybody in the show says Baratheon. So that's crazy. I say, right? You just say the the wait. But when you've seen the show and you haven't read the books, then oh. you do have a pronunciation. Oh, I head. also can't pronounce the names when they're spoken. <laughs> Oh, okay, so you're just an idiot is what, yes. is what we're saying. Okay. Yes, good. Yes. Well, good to have that clear It's up. dyslexia. Uh, well, now I feel bad because I mocked your disability. Well, you know, I think the idea of, of uh, you taking over the podcast is a great one. <laughs> you know? Wait, that's not what I proposed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, and then you can propose a topic? We don't have to do it this way. No, we do. Um, I just thought of saying, I thought it would be fun to say that to put you on the hot seat. You sure did. You Woo! sure made me feel small. It's the Keith Boynton roast on lack of <laughs> comedy central. Oh boy. That would be, that would be an experience. So other, so uh, what I was thinking when you were saying that was other than, um, the, the first book here, I'm holding it up to the camera. Um, there's no camera. Uh, what, um, are there any, any resources that I could dabble in between now and then? Cause obviously I won't be able to make it too far into this. No, 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 I don't expect that. Um, uh, but is, are there any, um, um, 
There are so many. So in particular, are there any you would recommend that I could look at between now and then to brush up on some overarching themes or lore? Yes. Yeah, my favorite uh, Game of Thrones related YouTube channel is called Alt-Shift-X. And everything that he's done is really, really worthwhile. Uh, and he leans heavily on summarizing what is already known. He'll do some theorizing from time to time. Mm-hmm. But mostly, his, he's sort of summing things up. Uh, that's, his, that's his MO. Uh, explaining things, clarifying things, and giving you the big picture. Uh, I won't recommend a specific video. You can see what video looks most useful to you. Uh, but everything that he's done on every topic is, is worth your time. Great. Uh, and yeah, I think we can talk about it as a cultural phenomenon. I think we can talk about the fact that the books are unfinished and have been unfinished for quite a while and how much eagerness there is for a new book. I think that's interesting. Mm. Uh, even the, the relationship of the fandom to George R. R. Martin and how uh, vocal and demanding they have become and how resentful he's been of that. Mm. That's sort of an interesting subject. Uh, you know, the show is its own phenomenon. The way it ended was... Uh, disappointing for many of us. Mm. And and actually, th- that issue would could lead us into, if we wanted, a discussion about storytelling responsibility. Like, what obligations do storytellers have? Mm. Is there an ethics of storytelling? Is there a morality? Um, both for George R. R. Martin, who doesn't seem to uh, be willing to finish his goddamn books, and for Benioff and Weiss, who were willing to finish that show in the most half-assed and unsatisfactory <laughs> uh, cash-grab way... <laughs> That they possibly could. Um, so in a way, those are two opposite scenarios, right? One is uh, he may never finish, which is in a sense perhaps a betrayal. And then on the other side, they did finish it. And God, we sort of wish they hadn't because <laughs> their their priority was just wrapping it up and not actually telling a coherent story. Next time, Keith, <laughs> Keith will say what he just said. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should stop talking. No, it's a very interesting uh, topic. I'm sure there's a lot to go over. There's a lot to go over. Um, I, I something I don't know. I I don't know anything about. I've seen the show, and and that's all. Yeah, I guess I would say if you want to read up just a little bit about about that subject, like his his writing pace and the controversy that has surrounded it. N- not to go into any depth necessarily, but that's an interesting subject in itself. Yeah. I'll try to find the time. I'm currently re-watching the entire uh, The Expanse series. Oh, yeah. Because season five just came out. Mm. So every time a new season comes out, I rewatch the entire series. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm going to get into that series. That's actually one of my New Year's resolutions. I almost put on the, the, the episode one of season five, and I stopped myself. And so now I'm I'm, back, I'm I'm rewatching all four seasons before I go into season five. Good man. Well, we'll definitely do an episode on the Expanse. Yeah, let's once, do it. Uh, once I'm caught up. Fantastic. All right. Well, we're gonna sign off. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Will, thank you for being here. Yeah. Find me on Instagram at the real Keith Boynton. <laughs> dot <laughs> eu. <laughs> that is definitely correct. Uh, yeah. This has been fun. Um. Yeah, um, you can email us at Will and Keith Embrace the Process at gmail.com. Happy Brought New to Year. You by Caffeine. <laughs> Official and, sponsor of everything. And Tina Fey. Amen. Happy New Year, you guys. <laughs>